Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Paul Smith, General Manager and Senior Vice President, North America Public Sector for Red Hat. Paul, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. And Rob Efferis, the President of the Coalition for Enterprise Open Source Software for Government. Rob, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion today. This August will be two years since OMB issued its open source policy, promoting the reuse of custom software code and establishing a website to host that code. So far, 26 agencies have posted code for reuse on code.gov. The move to open source goes beyond just a website and the listing of code. The Defense Department earlier this year launched code.mil and has been moving much of its custom developed software code to a central repository to begin managing and licensing its open source methods as well. This 2016 memo was actually the second time OMB tried to promote open source. Paul probably remembers back in 2004, when then OMB Administrator for eGovernment and IT, Karen Evans, issued a memo addressing for agencies the way that agencies buy software. While that memo didn't specifically call it open source, it did remind agencies about how licensing of open source software works. And the Defense Department has tried this approach several times as well, uh, issuing a first policy in 2003, an updated policy in 2009. So here we are 15 years later, despite all these efforts, the focus on open source, the uptick, I'll call it maybe a little slow. Maybe Paul won't be happy with that uh, idea. But agencies can move toward more open source code. And how can they do it? Well, the Trump administration's IT modernization effort maybe is the perfect time for that consideration, really more specifically, more broadly, to bring in open source. And that's why we have our guests today. Paul Smith, General Manager and Senior Vice President, North American Public Sector for Red Hat. And Rob Efres, the President of the Coalition for Enterprise Open Source Software for Government. Paul, let me start with you. This idea of open source, as I went through, is not new. We've been talking about this for years. But talk about the, the evolution that you've seen around open source software and, and why do you think this is the the time and the place. Well, to your point, maybe in the grand context of things, seems a little slow. Red Hat as a commercial company is now 25 years old, and our humble beginnings were really around Linux. Linux being an operating system that, if you will, at a high level, was an open source project. What we did many years ago, 13 or 14 years ago to be exact, was actually make Linux into something that was consumable at the enterprise level. That is something that was predictable, uh, you could secure it, you could support it. And that's kind of the the keys to the kingdom. So over time, the evolution has been that we were taking something that was developed in an open source community and making it secure, COTS, if you will, commercial off-the-shelf software, and uh, making it uh, consumable at the, at the high level. And at that level, uh, COTS software, especially Linux, was the one thing that could stay the same so that everything else could be different. You could run Linux on a myriad of different hardware systems from Dell to HP to Sun at the time and uh, going way back to even Wang and Vax VMS. Here we've evolved over the years where in the, in the beginnings of when we started selling this to commercial enterprises, primarily telcos, banks, and governments, it was something that was uh, kind of a project of sorts. So the difference that we talk about in open source is what happens in communities is where innovation happens. And it happens in communities that are much broader than just Red Hat as a company. Governments participate, uh, large companies like IBM has been a huge contributor to open source over the years, and a lot of individual contributors as well. And what we do is we harness all that innovation, and if you will, freeze dry it in a point in time and offer it as a product with version control. And in that way, we can make sure that it works with 
all of your hardware systems, all of your software systems. You know, we we uh, we have well over six thousand ISVs that certify to our software stack. So that's really what an enterprise software company does for a living. Let me bring in Rob for the discussion in a little bit now, Rob. Paul did a nice job of kind of going through kind of what Red Hat does, but but talk more broadly about what you're seeing in the open source community and as it relates back to the use by the government. Sure. The Coalition for Enterprise Open Source Software and Government was formed precisely to address some of the challenges in applying open source software technology to the enterprise. Ten plus years ago, as you reference, the adoption rate was just uh, climbing the curve. Now that adoption rate has greatly accelerated to the point where agencies are using open source whenever they can. And in particular, the community versions, also known as free open source, are a very attractive alternative for agencies that are looking to uh, establish projects that address specific agency requirements. The challenge, though, is when those project-related requirements expand into enterprise-related requirements. And our coalition form specifically uh, uh, is focused on educating federal IT stakeholders in the executive branch and in the Congress on the differences between free open source software and enterprise open software and how uh, acquiring those uh, involves a similar set of rules that are not always followed by agency purchasers. I know we could go down the path of acquisition quite a bit, but before we go there, let's put a, a better definition of free open source and enterprise open source. And I don't know if Paul or, or Rob, one of you guys want to jump in here, but if there's a misconception maybe around what open source is, we all think it's free, anyone can access to it. That's not what you guys are talking about. Maybe Paul. Right. I'll start. Rob, jump in at will. Everything in open source starts off as a project and in, in that regard is free. Open source software has a license uh, associated with it. Most popular of those is the GPL, or the, uh, the GNU public license, or the general public license. And uh, that is a license, much like a proprietary software company would have a license. It, it dictates how it, was, it is to be used. What it doesn't do is, with any certainty, tell you how it's going to act in a production environment with a lot of other moving parts. So what... Enterprise software companies like Red Hat do is we make that enterprise class. And especially in the government, going way back to our roots, we worked in communities such as with the NSA on the version of Linux known as SE Linux or Security Enhanced Linux. That code was actually code developed upstream, if you will, by both the NSA, uh, the contributors uh, like Red Hat and even IBM at to a level where it was at a stage where we could make it in and turn it into a product. And to this day, some 13 years later, we still dump millions of dollars a year in, into that product to make sure that it, it works well and it can be stigged. It, uh, it, it passes FIPS pubs, 140. We can take those products into FedRAMP, all the heavy lifting that a software company will do that won't happen in, the, happen in the community. And that's pretty much the definition of taking things from the project phase, which is where innovation happens, which is really cool because a lot of different entities get to participate in making that happen. And then some grown up in the room has to make it to a, to a level that can actually be used in a production environment. 
Rob, you want to jump in and talk a little bit about this innovation? We've heard Paul bring this up several times already. Why do you get the sense that this this open source can kind of lead that toward that innovation? Uh, because that's all we hear about from CIOs and government these days. Well, the attributes of open source uh, include uh, agile and uh, open standards, which en enable interoperability cost savings and the like. And so as agencies frequently adopt an agile uh, development model, they're uh, building a little and testing a little rather than going into uh, very, very large programs where there's vendor lock-in and agencies are committed to a systems integrator over a long period of time where requirements change. The innovation comes from the flexibility and the agility of open source software to address uh, the software development lifecycle in an agile way. And Paul, are you seeing this idea that federal customers are, are starting to understand that? It's it's not just, oh yeah, open source, I get it, but oh, here's what I can do as, as Rob just described the idea of DevOps or agile iterative development. Yeah, I think at a high level, if you take a look at the, the whole, uh, what's going on with DevOps as a, as a methodology, as a, as a process, so to speak, it's the, it's the ability to go in, in in small chunks and fail fast or learn fast and iterate Open source at its very roots is that. We've been doing that for 25 years. You go into a project and you try some things. You you try a patch, you try a new feature, and it goes out and it's either successful or, or it's not successful. But it's not a big waterfall that just happens. And it gets test-driven in the community, and to the extent that it's actually usable, it actually makes it into the product uh, family. That's what's happening right now in all of um, technology when development happens. We are doing projects in small iterative cycles. So that paradigm is really playing out right now. And then when you throw on top of that, this thing called the cloud, right? We can never not talk about the cloud. That makes this DevOps this iterative development even easier, where once it was harder to do it in the community environment, now doing it in the, the cloud creates that community environment. Indeed, and it depends on what you mean by cloud as well. So, right? Cloud, uh, so we can, hybrid cloud, multi, multi -cloud, private hybrid cloud, cloud right. private so if you take a look at any cloud that's going up on the private side or public side, if you take a look at the big hyper-converged clouds right now, providers, Amazon, Microsoft, Azure, everything in the cloud is open source to some level or degree. There's Linux as the foundation, there's automation tools, there's development tools, and even this new buzz phrase that everyone's talking about right now, which is Basically, operating system virtualization, otherwise known as containers, which is basically part of the Linux operating system, all that orchestration was actually developed as a project from Google, also known as Kubernetes. And so here's another thing that's happening in the cloud in terms of how technology is actually uh, being developed and consumed. And Red Hat is an example doesn't necessarily have to be the lead in that community, but we are a huge participant in those communities. And as a, an example with Kubernetes, which is a big part of how we orchestrate workloads in the cloud, we're the number two contributor to that code base in the upstream community, Google being number one. And then the, and then the list goes on. So very exciting stuff. Jason, one of the reasons why the Office of American Innovation in the White House demonstrated a lot of support for open source technology is in regard to the cloud and the emphasis on the migration of legacy applications to the cloud and the requirements uh, on agencies to uh, use more digital related technology to improve service to the citizens. And this puts pressure on agencies to come up in a quick turnaround way with applications, uh, many relying on open source are built on open source technology that can address not only the legacy migration, but the shift to digital. 
And Rob, I think you bring up a really key point here because of the push from the IT modernization. I think we'll get more, probably more into it a little bit later in the program. Do you see, uh, and maybe this is a better question for Paul, do you see more Red Hat customers from the, in the federal market asking, okay, well, how do I do this differently? What have you seen maybe the last, you know, six to eight to 12 months from your customers? The big push is right now is how do we go digital? How do we modernize uh, our existing applications? And how do we go cloud native for our new applications? All of that is really driven around open source. It's driven around platforms as a service where the developer is now the king. Uh, Developers rule the world as, as they haven't really for a long time but now we're providing a platform where they can actually get down and code uh almost immediately without having to worry about provisioning vms or finding hardware and going through all of the other processes of getting up and and writing code in a very fast manner and i've heard that before that it used to be everything was based on hardware where okay can we have the box we have room on the box how do we buy the box now we don't have to worry about that anymore. Agencies now can say, I already have it all I need. And if I need more, I can just call my cloud provider and say, turn it up a little bit. Is that the big change that you've seen and why open source and open standards and, and this open architecture discussion is, is really gaining some steam? I think so. I mean, if you look at Google Compute, if you take a look at Azure as they're developing their uh, their platform, if you take a look at Amazon, they are delivering infrastructure as a service. I can just go, I can spin up a machine, and I can do my development. And now customers are actually bringing that on-prem as well with the same type of constructs, with the same type of architecture. And the real challenge now is how do I do both? Because there's a lot of applications and a lot of workloads that have to live in both places. It can live in public cloud for certain workloads that they need to burst to, or it needs to be back on campus, so to speak, because it needs to be secured. They need to have control of not only the application, but of the data. So what we do at a high level is we abstract all of that such that the workloads or the containers, if you will, can move from on-prem to the cloud without having to be refactored. So portability at that level will provide a lot of agility and also provide protection from lock-in because at that level, now all you're doing is just asking either your internal IT staff or Microsoft or Google or Amazon for an SLA. And to the extent that they deliver, Great, stay there. And to the extent that someone else provides a a little bit of a hop skip over that and they have a better functionality, you can move there. So you can't get locked in for the long term. All right, that's a good point. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into some IT modernization. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Selecting the right cloud architecture is one of the most important strategic decisions IT leaders will make this decade. Hi, I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat the most trusted open source software company in the world. We play nice with everyone. With Red Hat, you get more choice, more innovation, and better security, all at a lower cost with you in control, not a vendor. Learn how we can help you get to the cloud. Redhat.com slash government. That's redhat.com slash government. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft and its partners. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search keyword innovation. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. 
My guests today are Paul Smith, General Manager and Senior Vice President, North American Public Sector for Red Hat, and Rob Effers, the President of the Coalition for Enterprise Open Source Software for Government. Gentlemen, before break, we talked a little bit about why open source is starting to gain some steam. We talked about the IT modernization issue came up. And one of the big pieces to IT modernization is cybersecurity. If you think about the cyber executive order that just in, in last May was a year old now, if you think about things like the, the Technology Modernization Fund, the MGT Act, that's all based on this idea of the need for more cybersecurity. But there's, all, there's always these concerns about open source and security. So maybe, Paul, start off with this idea of why people shouldn't be so concerned anymore. For years, we've had those conversations, especially back in the early days. Well, if this is open source, it certainly can't be secure. Everybody can see your source code. When in fact, the opposite is really true because with many eyeballs, if you will, looking at code, there are shallow bugs. It's an old saying in the industry. The primary reason for that is there's as many good cops looking at your code as there are bad cops. And so criminals, maybe bad cops, you know, that gets just a little <laughs> challenging, but you're right. It's, it's just go ahead, go, go on. It's the idea of more eyeballs, the better. More, more eyeballs, the better on the code. And then working with uh, the government agencies, we already talked about the development of a security enhanced version that was worked in concert with uh, one of the intelligence agencies. But we also worked very closely with NIST and their uh, SCAP protocol for actually automating the process of security controls. We've worked with 18F on their open control, which is a way to actually have configuration lockdown of how systems should look. And these are all open source projects. And it's just a way of making things happen faster and better. If you take a look at some some recent in, uh, incidents like Heartbleed or Spectre, these things were actually solved in the open source community on day one. And uh, we, Red Hat, were very proud of the fact that we were leading in taking a look at that code base that wasn't necessarily having anything to do with what we developed, but actually participating in getting solutions out there much faster. And before Rob jumps in, just maybe give me a little bit more about why Heartbleed or some of the Spectre was solved in the open source community. Just give me maybe a little bit more. In the modern era, it's almost impossible for any one company, any one entity be the, to be the smartest person on, this, on the street. So in a larger community, almost like the Human Genome Project, where you're sharing research and trying to solve diseases, we have a lot of different folks looking at it from a lot of different angles. So there's a, there's a real-time community of a very broad and diverse audience of global coders actually looking at this and trying to come up with solutions. All right, that, that's helpful because I think people don't probably realize about the, the participation, if you were the collaboration. Rob, jump in here as well. Security, again, very similar to Paul, always been a big bugaboo for, for open source, but it shouldn't be in, for many reasons. That's right. And if you'll note the uh, OMB report that just came out uh, with regard to the status of agencies on cyber, uh, the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act, and even the MGT Act, all focus on software asset management as a discipline that can address uh, cybersecurity vulnerabilities. And one of the key challenges in the open source community, particularly as it relates to community open source, is whether or not the, the, the applications are patched with the latest patches addressing vulnerabilities. And there are instances where agencies uh, take a free download, have that um, uh, applic uh, software modified by a federal systems integrator, and are relying on community-based 
patches as compared to the patches being offered by an enterprise vendor. They, in other words, are running a system without any support, and that creates vulnerabilities. And there are specific examples of that uh, within the intelligence community, which unfortunately uh, addresses this problem based on the fact that they're air-gapped. But the reality is uh, agencies buy an enterprise open source license from a vendor like Red Hat uh, or others, and then decide after a year they don't want to pay for the renewal, and they'll take the community version of that software and support it themselves and will not have the benefit of manufacturer support. Rob, do you think that happens because it's a lack of understanding or, or knowledge of how open source works? Or is it a cost issue or is it a laziness issue? Why does this happen? As a former federal official, I recognize that uh, a scarce budgets is a reality. Um, I think the fact that community-based open uh, source software can be downloaded uh, relatively easy and then without too much of a challenge, work with the uh, contracting office to establish a task order for a systems integrator to modify that free open source. And the bottom line to your question, Jason, it's the easy button. But the easy button overlooks the federal acquisition regulations, as well as the lengths to which companies like Red Hat and members of our coalition go to to meet federal information security requirements, some of which Paul previously mentioned. And systems that are running on free open source software don't necessarily meet those uh, information security requirements and operate based on waivers. And uh, the challenge is that agencies, as pointed out by the OMB report, don't necessarily know what software is operating on their network uh, and the extent to which it's patched. And that's a key cyber challenge. And I'll jump in on that for a second. So while that is all well and good, and we are a nation of law, so it's good to have rules, it's good to have standards for how we actually deploy systems and actually know what they're doing, that's kind of the stick. The carrot is that in reality, trying to be your own software company at an agency level as a unicorn actually is more expensive because in the long haul, what we do is we play systems integrator to all of the components that make open source work, making it work in the cloud, making it work with a variety of providers, software, hardware, and APIs. And as I said before, the reason open source works is because no one entity, no one company can be smart enough to innovate or support the same thing happens at the agency level or at the or at a, a company level on the on the commercial side. You can't anticipate all the problems that you'll have, and you won't. It'll be cheaper in the long run to actually have a manufactured, uh, supported product. Paul, you mentioned this idea that it can be more expensive for agencies to do it on their own, and that actually tags back to something that Rob has mentioned several times around uh, acquisition. So, Rob, let's go down that path a little bit about the acquisition. It seems to be that you talked about waivers. You talked about uh, this challenge of trying to do their own thing. What is the acquisition challenge with open source that maybe a lot of agencies are missing the boat on? Well, in the memos that you referenced uh, earlier in the show, uh, Karen Evans's 2004 memo, and then the uh, memo and report issued by the Department of Defense in 09, clearly established that uh, open source software is a commercial off-the-shelf solution. 
And as such, it is uh, the use of it is governed by federal acquisition regulations. And what we've seen is that in a very well-intentioned effort to use a free open source software in support of a project requirement, an agency will download it and then uh, take steps, usually in the form of uh, providing a task order to a federal systems integrator to modify that free open source software for the agency's specific purposes. By downloading that software and uh, tasking a systems integrator to modify it, that is a, a contracting action. And what typically is supposed to happen is that agency contracting officials need to look into the marketplace to see what COTS solutions already exist uh, that don't require modification by a systems integrator first, and also consider the lifecycle costs and compare those costs between modifying the free open source versus buying a COTS solution. And that step, unfortunately, is uh, more often than not, not being taken. And one of the reasons why our coalition was formed was to educate federal IT stakeholders in the executive branch, in OMB and GSA, as well as in the Congress, that the rules are on the books that require agency officials to treat open source downloads as a COTS uh, type requirement. And the fact that our uh, members of our coalition are not being given a fair opportunity to compete in those acquisitions, we believe is not in the best interest of the taxpayer. Paul, as you guys have talked to agencies and try to explain to them, hey, this will cost you more. Do they get it? Or is there enough cost benefit analysis is being done where they can, where you guys or the coalition can provide, hey, this, you may think this is only going to cost you a dollar, but it's really going to cost you $10. Well, I think where it started was open source, even supported open source from Red Hat was a way to save money. In the beginning, it was a commoditization play. We'd go in and we actually would rip costs out of enterprises because they could now standardize on a particular operating system. So at the very front end of it, it was about saving money. So they would gladly come in and invest such that they could rip costs out of the, uh, out of the infrastructure. As we progressed and now open source in the public marketplace is much more than just an operating system. It's automation software, it's cloud-native storage, it's container management platforms, it's cloud management platforms, it's application development platforms. This is actually a more valuable play for our customers because it's where, it's where innovation is happening. And so while commoditization was important, the value prop of actually delivering new technologies faster is what is what the play is. Uh, gentlemen, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. So before I let you go, I'm going to ask each of you maybe to offer some takeaways to our, our listeners uh, based on this conversation. What's the one or two things that when agencies start to consider open source, they go down the path of IT modernization that they should keep in mind? Let me start with Paul. If you think about a metaphor, and Linux, as an example, was one of the first successful products in open source to be adopted by customers both in government and in industry, the reason that worked was it played with all of the OEMs. So Linux could run on Dell, HP, IBM, etc. The new era, the modern era, is about container management uh, platforms. And that is the platform where developers live, and that is akin to the cloud. So OpenShift, as an example, which is Red Hat's container management platform, is the one thing that stays the same so that you can run on-premise, in Azure, in Amazon, or in Google. 
one thing that stays the same so that all of your applications can move with ease and portability, scale, and security across those modern era, if you will, OEMs. And Rob, you get the last word. Know that there are um, um, multiple numbers of companies, many of whom are, who are in our coalition, who have spent tens and hundreds of millions of dollars of their own capital in ensuring that their software products can be operated on federal networks in a safe and secure way. And before hitting that easy button and taking the free download and modifying it and becoming, as Paul said, your own software developer, consider what's available in the commercial marketplace, which is compliant out of the box. Very good. Uh, let me thank my guests for today. Paul Smith, General Manager and Senior Vice President, North America Public Sector for Red Hat. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Rob Efros, the President of the Coalition for Enterprise Open Source Software for Government. Rob Thank you. Pleasure, Jason. Thanks. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at Federal News Radio, keyword innovation.